Hello and welcome to My Camino, the podcast, a weekly discussion inspired by the Camino to Santiago, the many and varied paths to the remains of Christ's Apostle St. James in the city of Santiago de Compostela in northern Spain. I'm Dan Mullins, a Sydney content producer and broadcaster. I walked half the Camino Francis in 2016. So eager to maintain a connection with the Camino and the many friendships and inspirational encounters along the way, I established this podcast to hear what motivates pilgrims. What is it about the Camino that seemingly sensible, practical and intelligent people subject themselves to walking dozens of miles a day along, alongside perfect strangers when the only thing to look forward to is a bunk bed amongst 100 other exhausted people? It's hardly lifestyles of the rich and famous. This week I'm joined by Jenny Heesh and Julie Ann Mill. And I want to focus this week on the role of what's called a hospitalero. Julianne served as a hospitalera and as the Australian hospitalero trainer for the Spanish-based hospitaleros voluntarios. Jenny was working as a hospitalera in Rabanel when I met her, a coming together of kindred spirits a long, long way from home. Jenny and Julianne, welcome. Thank you, Dan. Thank you, Dan. Julianne, let's start with you. Why did a perfectly sensible and intelligent person such as you subject yourself to the life of a pilgrim? I was on a walking holiday in France and one day we walked into Saint-Jean-Pierre-de-Port and the, it was an organised holiday and the guide explained the pilgrimage and uh, I spoke to a few pilgrims who'd walked from Le Puy and I thought, well, oh, I'm a bushwalker. I don't, I don't do hard surface walking. But... Uh, You've often heard, I'm sure, that the you don't choose the Camino, the Camino chooses you. And it gnawed away at me, and a couple of years later, there I was back at St John. Uh, it, it just became an obsession. It was something that I knew that I had to do, and I'd find out along the way why I had to do it. So when was your first, and how many have you done? How many Caminos, and when was your first? I've never actually counted them. Um, (laughs) But uh, 2005 was the first. Uh, I went back 18 months later to walk from Le Puy to St. Jean. And since then I try and go at least for half a Camino or a full Camino, uh, at least every year, once a year. So uh, for the past 11 years. So does a pilgrim stop? Do you stop being a pilgrim once you come home, once you've finished your Camino? No. Actually, at the end of my second Camino, I actually wrote in my journal that I felt that I was now a better pilgrim, that I was afraid that my husband might want a better wife. (laughs) (laughs) So So let me then ask you, what's one way you see it manifesting itself, a pilgrim's life, in day-to-day life? I think... Um, my needs are a lot simpler. Uh, I'm, I've never really been a shopper, but now I'm totally boring to take shopping because I can't see the point uh, of most of it. Uh, I cleaned out my wardrobe, even though I've never been one to collect clothes anyway. Uh, I, I, I think I've just made life simpler. Uh, I take public transport, I walk as much as possible, I talk to people. Uh, If I'm in a cafe now, I'll 
say something to the person next to me where I would never have done that in Sydney before. Did you think at the time back in 2005 when you returned from your first Camino it would stay with you for so long and be such a big part of your life? I thought it was a one-off. It it was... I just learnt so much about myself, uh, I think, and started me my thinking about my place in the world and what I wanted to do with my life. And uh, I think now I go back for the sheer pleasure of it uh, because my, my life has changed because of the Camino in that it led me to... I now keep a, a journal um, to record my thoughts. I never did that before. Uh, I meditate now, and that was something I hadn't done uh, before the Camino. I'm very mindful of everything I've learnt, trying to keep that going in everyday, in everyday life. So it's, it's really more about... I, I suppose before I, before I went... Uh, it's a bit of a cliche to to find yourself and I wasn't looking for myself but I did find myself along the way so since then I've been very aware of ensuring that I uh, I keep that authentic self rather than doing what I think a lot of women do and that is slipping back into playing the role of daughter, mother, wife uh, this is how I should behave uh, I'm, I'm just more mindful of being me. It's interesting because my next question was, did you feel back then you needed something more in your life? Did you think that there was a hole that needed filling? I didn't think so. Uh, I had no idea why I was there. But as I, I said, so I just learnt so much. And I, I found when I walked, because I didn't know why I was there, but some days I would just have crying days. And I had things come up. One day I started to cry because I wasn't allowed to go to my nana's funeral when I was nine years old. And actually I found that interesting listening to your first podcast where you said you took a decade of your life at a time uh, because I preferred to walk and keep my mind free. But I had these, all these weird things pop up and, and to be crying for my nine-year-old self when I wasn't even aware that there was a wound there that needed healing. And I found that that sort of thing happened quite regularly. So it was quite cathartic for someone who had no problems in the first place. <laughs> and so have those wounds healed? Oh, as far as I'm aware, but who knows, on another Camino? <laughs> yeah. You might knock one and reopen it. Do you know, you, you just, um, I was just astounded at the things that came up for attention and that I didn't realise were a problem in my life, but obviously they were and I just buried them. And it's a great unburdening and this has been a theme of pretty much every single podcast mm. I've done there is that great unburdening and it's a reminder isn't it that often we carry too much don't we we feel we should carry it because we don't want to unburden we don't want to lose things like throwing rubbish out of the closet out of the cupboard we keep things because we feel we should well it's very much the same with that emotional stuff isn't it 
Uh, absolutely. And the uh, interesting you used the word should. That was one of my big lessons, that I was actually living my life by shoulds. Uh, and it was very liberating to turn those shoulds into the, OK, well, instead of I should do that, would I like to do that? And when I learnt to rephrase things back in real life, uh, I found that usually I did exactly the same things, but I did them with a different state of mind. And that was very freeing. And I was doing things with love instead of from a sense of duty. Fantastic. So, Jenny, to you, what motivated you to take that first step on your pilgrimage, and when was it? It was in the year 2000 and I read Shirley MacLaine's book, The Camino, and that had a really big effect on me. I'd read most of Shirley's books and it, it just it opened the door a little bit for The Camino for me and after I read that book, I read about three or four other memoirs and then back in 2011 I read a, big, a book called The Year We Seize the Day by Colin Bowles and Elizabeth Best and that was what swung the door wide open for me and I got onto the Camino next year with a small group back in 2012, walked from Leon to Santiago and when I came home from that walk I just thought I can't let this alone, it just, it, I can't let it go, it was too powerful and so I started researching on the internet, I found Pilgrims in Sydney. I found uh, my friend David from Pilgrim Supplies in the UK. And through David, I found the Camino Forum. And those three um, factors have been such a big influence mm. in my Camino life since. And my life hasn't changed that much since, but it's just been enhanced so much. And it, like Julie, the Camino's given me a totally different attitude to life. And I, I read somewhere you said that it, you felt like a door had been opened into another world. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. I, I stepped bravely into it. And it was a bit like Alsa Piper said in her recent interview. I had a bad time on that 2012 interview because I mean, um, Camino because I sustained a grade 4 stress fracture in my femur and I limped into Santiago and a lot of pain. But at the end of it, I, like Alice has said, well, hey, you did that. You know, you poor little idiot. You did that. And, and when you think of that, it changes, yeah. it changes the way you do look at life and what you're prepared to tackle under, under a lot of stress yeah. and, and in pain. Yeah. But, but you have an incredible energy, Jenny, and enthusiasm for all things Camino. Did you have that same energy before this new journey began? Yes, yes. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to talk my, about... My mum and dad would tell you that. Yes, definitely. My husband, Steve, would tell you that too. Everyone who knows me would tell you that. <laughs> well, I had to ask that question. Not We're going all. to talk about how and why of hospitaleering in a moment. But mm. I once heard you say, Jenny, that you wanted to give back. Yes. to the Camino. Why do you feel a need to give something back? I'd have thought you'd have given enough by simply walking and making your pilgrimage, particularly given the fact that you staggered in mm. that very first time under a lot of pain and under a lot of mm. pressure. But we don't feel we need to give back when we go skiing in Aspen. We don't feel that we need to give back when we go on a safari in Africa. Why do we feel we need to give back to the Camino? Because I think a lot of people walk 
in pain and a lot of people walk with a lot of fear and once I joined Pilgrims in Sydney and I found out that I could hopefully be a hospitalero at Rabinal, I found that, okay, well, maybe I can help someone in the future not to, not to be in the same sort of fear that I was and to carry the same sort of physical, well, not so much physical pain because there was other pain as well. That I'd be thinking about my parents I'd lost both of my parents at the time that I'd walked and things that happen in life. There's a lot of regrets that happen in life and as Julie said, there's a lot that comes up on the Camino and I found, well, Julie and I will talk about it a little bit further on, but the pilgrims we met, they, they, they tell you about what's hurting in their lives and, and if I can give back in that respect and help someone not to feel that same pain that I helped, that, that I felt myself, that's a good thing and that's something that I'd want to do. Because I want to talk about that spirituality mm. and all of that down the track. But you just touched on the fact that you're giving back by mm. working in an albergue. So, Julianne, back to you. What, what is a hospitalera? Uh, and what is the difference between, first of all, a hospitalero and a hospitalera? Well, the difference is simply gender. Uh, ah, okay. it, hospitalero is masculine, hospitalera um, is feminine, so it, it simply depends on the gender of the person working. But a lot of the albergues, the, the pilgrim refuges, are staffed by volunteers. And those, uh, I think, those of us who choose to go back as, as hospitaleros uh, are doing so because that giving back is because we have had the experience of staying with people who've volunteered from all parts of the world in order to keep that tradition of the Camino going. So it, it's, it just feels right to then give back. It's not even so much necessarily for the pilgrims, it's for the Camino. It's part of the infrastructure and the history uh, of the Camino. And just... It's just an amazing idea that there are so many places that actually work on donation. And certainly I can't imagine that existing uh, in Sydney, for example, uh, or many other places around the world. But on the Camino, it's a, an important part of the infrastructure. So do you, does the hospitalero get paid? No. Uh, well... If in a donativo, a donation albergue, no, uh, they pay their own airfare to, to get there, they, they um, pay all their own expenses, uh, it's a totally voluntary unpaid position. Is it a demanding job? It can be. Uh, look, it depends what you, what you call demanding. Uh, if um, being up just before six to get the coffee ready and going to bed at 10 o'clock when you lock the doors is demanding uh, and being the be-all and end-all to everybody who comes in during the day is demanding. Yes, it is, but it's also incredibly rewarding. Um, you Just to be in that service position to uh, help pilgrims, as Jenny mentioned, to... Uh, help them with any problems they might have to fears or to share their happiness and their joy 
to listen to their stories, um, it's just um, an incredible honour, uh, I think. Uh, Jenny, I was going to say, is it for everyone, do you think? Oh, <laughs> I think you have to be a people person. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I think for anyone who loves the Camino and who would like to give back, yes. Yeah, yeah, I do. Yeah. yeah. It, it, I, you've done it a few times, so tell us, what would an average day entail? Oh, okay. Well, as Julie said, up at quarter to six to get the coffee ready, get the bread out for the pilgrims, set the tables. When I'm there, there's always a jar of Vegemite on on each table. <laughs> it doesn't happen when I'm not there. And this is at Ravenel because Ravenel's my only experience. And then we we do tea, coffee, hot chocolate for the pilgrims and we have... Uh, the, the bread and the jam, and then the pilgrims come in in waves. Rabanal has space for 40 people, and we find that, that because everyone wakes up at a different time, you can manage to, to control the flow of the pilgrims through the breakfast time. So as soon as breakfast is finished and the albergue doors are locked at 8 o'clock, the hospitalaries have their own breakfast, and then we get started with the physical work of the day, which is cleaning the dormitories from top to bottom. There's a lot of products used. Our, our favourite product was a product called Don Limpio, which translates... Hang on, hang on. What's Don Limpio? <laughs> I know. Wait a minute. I don't know. I like the sound of it. Don Limpio. <laughs> Don Limpio in English is Mr. Clean. Oh. Right. And Mr. Don Limpio appears everywhere, let me tell you, in the kitchen in the bathrooms and in the dorms. So he's a very useful man to have around the room. I will say, the albergo was absolutely spotless when I was there, Golkelma, absolutely spotless. Yeah, yeah. So so do I work every day, Julianne, and do I work so for six in the morning till 10 at night every day? It will depend on the number of hospital errors that you have at any one time. Uh, If, uh, hopefully... There's uh, enough of you uh, rostered on, for, and it's for a, a two-week period. Hopefully there's enough roster that you can actually have rostered time off in the afternoon. And initially, uh, Jenny and I worked together, and there were only the two of us, uh, so we didn't really have that time. Then after, um, I think, four days, uh, somebody else joined us, and then we would have time off each other. We would alternate so that we had some time off. And that's really important uh, to be able to physically leave the albergue and have time out. So it, it really depends. On occasion, uh, rarely you would be the only one. Uh, usually there would be two. And you do things uh, like you share the cleaning, but then... If there's a lull in the afternoon, one of you uh, can have some time out of the albergue, the other one stays there. Usually uh, one will get up early to do breakfast and the other one will close at night. So you're not actually on duty the whole time. Um, What we found is we would take turns at doing breakfast but the other one would get up early to help anyway. Uh, and the same with going to bed. Yeah. Basically, yeah, we just liked being with the pilgrims, so yeah. we tended to uh, be on duty all the time. Uh, the thing is, we didn't have to be. We, yeah. we did it because mm. it was a choice. Mm. So you're pretty 
integral to people's pilgrimage, whether or not they have an enjoyable night in that particular town, mm. aren't you? Mm. Uh, us, so. Yeah. Are <laughs> some pilgrims more difficult than others? I'll, I'll come to you in a moment, sure. Some can, some can be more demanding. You certainly need to keep your sense of humour and sense of perspective. The important thing to remember is they're only there one night. Uh, really, the most important thing is your relationship with the person with whom you're working uh, or serving. The, your fellow hospitaleros are the most important people because you're with them uh, for the two weeks. Pilgrims are only there one night. So you really bite your tongue and then move on the next morning. That's true. And you, you need to put yourselves in the pilgrim's shoes too. And when Julie and I worked in 2014, we were in, we were in July and it was quite hot. A lot of the days and the pilgrims have come in and they're just exhausted. So you put yourself in their shoes and you'd help them and show them where everything was very quickly and so they could get established and then you'd say, okay, if you need to know anything, well, please, we're right here, we're very happy to help. And that was what we did. And, of course, one of the most uh, uh, interesting and and important aspects of that particular uh, albergue, Gorkoma, being run by the British fraternity is that you have that lovely afternoon tea yes. in the garden. Yes. It's most exactly. civilised. And when exactly. I was there, I was lucky enough to get a little Tim Tam yeah. on, on my plate. Wow. Yeah, well, guess where that came from? Via Canada. <laughs> it was a great, it was a great day. Yes. I don't like often do this, but can I ask you both for a horror story? If there is such a thing? Or are you too nice? I suspect you're too nice. Well, I, I honestly don't have a real horror story. Can, can I just go back a step too and add to what Jenny said before? The thing with the not knowing where the pilgrims are coming from, you don't know their backstory either unless they choose to tell you. So you're not really, uh, not always aware of the wounds that they're carrying. So it's really kid glove sort of stuff. Um, look, it's... The only time I felt really... It's not a horror story, but the only time I felt really, really bad was uh, an older couple who came in and they asked could they have... Uh, they wanted to stay two nights. Uh, and basically it was simply because the woman was tired. And the the deal is it's one night only unless you're ill. So uh, I, I had to explain to them that uh, I couldn't do that and I suggested other places in the village where they could stay uh, for two nights and that night I walked into the uh, restaurant in in the bar where I was having a meal and they were there and I'd I'd felt really guilty I suppose about sending them away and uh, they called me over to the table and I thought oh no I'm in for it now but they called me over to uh, offer me a glass of wine to say thank you. And uh, when I, I said to them, but, you know, but I sent you away. And uh, their response was, but you did it with kindness and we just want to say thank you. So it's not a horror story, but it's, I think, the only time that I was there that I felt really, really bad that I couldn't uh, 
do what I thought was the right thing by the pilgrim. Mm. I think that story tells us more about you than anybody else, Julianne, <laughs> to be honest. Yeah. Jenny, horror story? No horror stories at all, only this is joy. No, fun. <laughs> no, 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 no horror stories. At all. What about an inspirational story then, Jenny? Uh, inspirational story. Um, Something that you feel that you, you really enjoyed doing. Okay, okay. One one night when Julie and I were working together in 2014, seven Irish friends came into the albergue and they'd walked up from Madrid and they were musicians. And we have a guitar in the, the salon. I know it well. Those. I know, <laughs> as you do. Yeah, that's right. Absolutely. Crowded House springs to mind. Yeah. And they put on a, an impromptu gig in the salon for all the pilgrims and the hospitaleros that night and they did beautiful Irish songs like that wonderful song She Moved Through the Fair which is such a, oh, a haunting song it's a wonderful song and then they said okay well let's have some requests who'd like some requests so a few people put their hands up they sang the songs and no, no more hands were coming up and so I said well I'd like a request and that was Brown Eyed Girl Van Morrison, and to hear that sung at Gathelmo by these beautiful Irish singers, and they were they were just gorgeous. They were all young 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 people. It, oh, it was a magical moment. It was wonderful. It's such a beautiful song. It is. It is. It is. Julianne, an inspirational story. Even though that last story of yours was pretty good too. <laughs> I've actually got heaps. Uh, would you like a pilgrim one or a personal one? How about a personal one? Mm. One thing, it, it was to do with Hospital Aero, but not to do with the Alibergate. Um, the, the monks next door uh, come in uh, every day at afternoon tea to ask, uh, get their victims, they say, to read at Vespers. Well, one day we, we had hardly anyone there because it was the soccer final and you don't stay uh, at an albergue that has a curfew and no TV when the soccer final's on. We didn't have any English speakers who wanted to, um, to read at Vespers, so I said, oh, may I read? Yes, OK. So I read at Vespers and uh, very much enjoyed that. And a couple of days later, uh, I said, you know, will you read at Vespers for us tonight? And I said, yeah, I'd love to. Uh, I didn't realise, though, that I was actually auditioning. And the next morning, I was approached uh, to say, we, we have a special mass on Friday. It's uh, the consecration of our new altar. Would you read for us? And uh, I was... Well, would I? <laughs> yes, please. Uh, and it was such a fantastic experience uh, that I wouldn't have had uh, as a pilgrim, mm. that I had as hospital error. And it, I just felt so much a part of that village mm. to share such an important occasion mm. with them. Um, yeah. So it was definitely a highlight for me. That's, I love those stories because that's you sharing a little bit of your stories as opposed to just being sort of looking after the, the pilgrims. Mm. And let's go back to the sort of nitty-gritty and the, the nuts and bolts of it all. Is it possible to walk for, say, a month from St. Jean, pause to work for a couple of weeks as a hospitalero and then continue on your way as a pilgrim? Julianne? Yeah. 
Uh, it, it, it is. The, the recommended is actually to walk after the service uh, as hospital arrow, and that's because, unfortunately, things do happen, and you people do trip, break arms, legs, and whatever, and if you find that you suddenly can't work a day or two before you're meant to, to start, uh, it's a little inconvenient for the people who are doing the, the rosters. So the ideal is to serve first and then walk. And actually, for me, that works best anyway uh, because I find as a pilgrim, I, I have, uh, as, as I said, things pop up and demand attention. So it's a very introspective, reflective time. If you then, for me, if I have that introspective, reflective time and then move straight to service, I don't have the processing space. Whereas uh, as hospital error, I don't have that introspection. So I can serve and then walk and let it unfold uh, as it wants to do. And, and it'd be good, I suppose, to, it must be good to reward yourself for a couple of weeks after you've been rewarding others. So so, uh, how many organisations are there around the world offering training and placement? Um, Through Hospital Eros Voluntarios, uh, they do training. The the program I do is a translation of the Spanish one, uh, and that uh, is taught. It was translated uh, primarily by the Canadian group. So it's taught in Canada, the States, South Africa and Australia. But uh, they also have training in France, Italy, I'm not sure where else, but and of course Spain. Do I get a certificate or some form of documentation so that I can show some of those organisations that I've done training and I'm qualified? What, when, when you do the training in Australia, uh, all the names are sent to Hospital Eros Voluntarios in, in Spain uh, so that they have you on, uh, in their records, but nothing is done then unless you activate uh, an application. But I, I give uh, a, a badge, Australian Hospital Eros badge and certificate. Each group uh, has their own special yeah. Jenny, you want to say something? I was just going to say also Julie issues the um, it's a it's a, a small hospitalero pendant that's that's internationally recognised from that, that's hosp- the Spanish yeah, one. Yes, the Spanish yeah. one, and that's internationally recognised, mm-hmm. which is a beautiful thing to have, and you can you can wear that on on a badge or you can wear that as a pendant. It's a beautiful beautiful mm-hmm. item. Yeah. I want to get back to. That was enough nitty-gritty. Now the nitty-gritty of you two. <laughs> Jenny, you say you experienced connection, goodwill and renewed spirituality on the Camino. Mm. So how did it dawn on you? That, that's, that's, that's not something that you just wake up and say, oh, I think I've experienced connection, goodwill and renewed spirituality. How did it dawn on you? <sighs> that's a hard question to answer. Um, I, I think when I came back... And, and joining pilgrims in Sydney, as I said, particularly, and 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 becoming friends with David, who's been a Camino mentor for me, and the and joining the forum, you realise that there are so many people that have had had a, a life changing experience, and you're not alone. It's it's kind of like finding your tribe mm. for me, and. 
you can you can take what you want from it, but if you're prepared to go for it and go with it, the rewards are there well and truly. Mm. My I have such a happy life. I had a happy life before, but my life now is just so complete. It's the most wonderful, wonderful thing for me. In, in, like in 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 recent, in certainly in yeah. recent years, yeah. yeah. I've got written here. How do you describe to people the whole experience? What do you tell people to expect when they are heading off on their pilgrimage? Just go with an open mind, and go with a positive attitude and just go with the flow. Don't have any expectations. Exactly. This is a question for you both. Yeah. Uh, in my, uh, Not all people experience what Rebecca Scott called in her podcast Serious oh, Juju, oh, yeah. the Serious yeah, Juju. Do that. They don't all experience it, Julia. No, they don't. Uh, and it sounds very much... Uh, it, it is a cliché. It's a cliché because so many people have said it. But... Uh, the Camino doesn't give you what it want. It wants. Mm. It, it gives you what you need, and sometimes uh, what you need is a hard wake-up call. Mm. And I think many people experience that on the Camino, and it's not necessarily comfortable, but uh, perhaps it's something you need to face. Well, that's been my experience yeah, anyway. But well, that, just on that then, Julia, and you said you found the Camino a deeply spiritual experience, which resulted in a greater understanding of myself and the world around me. How did it dawn on you? When when was that light bulb moment for you? I don't, I don't think there was any one moment before I went. If somebody had said to me, "Are you a spiritual person?" I would have said, well, no, I don't think so. Uh, if somebody said, are you a religious person? I said, no, no, I don't go to church or anything. But then I'm suddenly on the Camino, I'm singing the Lord's My Shepherd, I'm reciting the Lord's Prayer, I'm going to Mass, I'm praying by the roadside. You're reading for I, Benedictine monks. I, I, and I'm thinking... I don't know what's what's happening to me here, but uh, it's yeah. As I say, you learn a lot about yourself that you didn't know. <laughs> One thing I've noticed about you both uh, in spending an hour, a couple of hours with you today, is a calm. So, is it fair to, fair to ask you? Have you experienced a greater calm as a result of being a pilgrim, Jenny? I'm trying to, for that calm. Down, Jenny, down. Julia, Julia. I, I think it has. Yeah. Yes, um, definitely um, for me. I, I think because it's shown me the, the peace that can come when you do things like stop and pray to be grateful, to actually the realisation... I, after a few days, I realised that everything uh, that I did, uh, because I was a teacher librarian at the time, and I realised that my life was governed by the bell and the time. And then I removed my watch and started listening to my body and eating when I was hungry and walking till I wanted to stop. And uh, rather than 
being governed by external forces. So uh, I, I think, yes, it, it has been calming because it's, it's helped me to listen to the internal yeah. and certainly to follow my intuition a lot more. Mm. Well, that's what I was going to ask yeah. you, Jenny. We laughed about calm and you finding calm, but I, I, I suspect you have found an inner calm. I certainly have. And, and our great friend Bill Bennett mm. in one of the other podcasts uh, spoke about intuition and being led by intuition. Are you a more intuitive person now? Definitely. Definitely, I try to use intuition every day. And I can give you a, a very quick example. Yesterday, um, I'm hoping to meet Mick McQueen on his Camino in June and July. And I definitely hope to be in Santiago and out at Finisterre when he has the blessing in the cathedral and also the sunset blessing at Finisterre. And because he's carrying the 41 poppies, I felt... I wanted to carry a, a poppy myself. So I've been thinking about this ever since I heard the interview that you did with him a few weeks back. And with Anzac Day, I thought, well, there's a good chance that I'll find a poppy. So recently I was in a shopping centre in Nowra on the south coast and there were a couple of soldiers selling Anzac Day badges and pens and I asked them if they had any poppies and they said, no, no, no poppies, that's for Remembrance Day. Okay, so back to Cronulla on Tuesday afternoon and yesterday I was doing my normal walk and I called into the local community centre and there were my poppies. There was, there was a, 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 an Anzac Day display with knitted poppies and paper poppies and so I said to the volunteer at the counter, any chance of being able to buy one of those poppies? And she said, yeah, sure, give give me a donation so I gave her a donation so now I've got my poppy for 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 the on the on the the very good chance that I hope that I'll be spending some time with 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 Mick and the the point is I couldn't I I could have not gone for that walk yesterday I could have not gone into the community center but I got the tap on the shoulder to say look just just go and have a look in the community centre and of course there were my poppies and the point I was going to make Mm. to you is that you need to have a certain calm, a certain inner calm to hear that intuition don't you? Yes you do to be guided. Yes, yes absolutely absolutely right we need to be still we we're so busy doing Mm. uh, instead of being and just being still yeah Mm. I think it's fantastic. I'm loving this chat, by the way. And if you can hear that background noise, my listeners, that we're at the City of Sydney RSL Club in a restaurant, so there's people everywhere. And uh, so we might be seeking calm and peace here, but there's uh, still a lot of action going on around us. I always ask my guests what would be the one thing they'd leave behind. Julianne, what do you leave behind at home? My husband. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Okay, Jenny. Well, I could say the same thing. <laughs> well, what about the first thing you pack, Julia? I'm I'm known in the group as a lightweight packer. Uh, so, really, the first the look. Honestly, I think I would be quite happy if I just walked out the door with the clothes I stood up in. Uh, the first thing I pack. Uh, would would probably just be my passport 
um, seriously. Yeah. Yeah. Jenny? I like to help out wherever I am, and I'm one of those people that's always in the kitchen at parties. And so the first thing I always pack without a word of a lie is my rubber gloves. And Julie will tell you that. I take them everywhere, seriously. I've just got this vision of you walking in the rubber gloves. I don't know. That is so funny. On the Camino particularly, they're so useful because you're, you're washing your gear in cold water and sometimes with, with pretty yucky soap. And your hands get wrecked. And so it's purely a practical measure. And as I say, I like to help out. And so if, if there's something that needs to be washed up in the kitchen, I'm there and I'm well prepared. That's so funny. It's dishwashing liquid. Look, I hope you forgive me saying this, but you're both not 21. True. Let's just say you're well-travelled. <laughs> Let's just say you're well-travelled. Are you nervous or apprehensive about walking the Camino? Is it safe? Julianne? I think it's absolutely safe. Uh, the I, I will admit that the first time uh, I set off and I was then a very young 54, the first time, no longer, uh, and I had that awful, oh my goodness, what am I doing here, feeling in the stomach, and it lasted maybe an hour, and uh, really I, I have never felt safer anywhere than on the Camino. Uh, it just, it's such a nurturing, caring community. I, I will say, though, that I found uh, a difference last year when I, when I walked, and, and I think that it was as a result of that um, awful um, Denise thing um, a couple of years ago, that I... I was more aware that any of the... When I walked into somewhere, a lot of the guys, particularly the Spanish guys, would say, oh, good, you know, we're glad you're here. And I was more aware that people were keeping an eye on me uh, as a woman alone. And uh, I've spoken to a few people about that and they've found the same thing. But I, personally, I've never felt unsafe at all. And Jenny, you've, you're of course about to go on your own, yes. and this is the first time, as I understand it, you're going to walk yes, alone. So how do you? And how do you feel about that? I feel very confident that I'll be fine. I will say that I'll be turning around from time to time just to see who's around, and maybe if there's no one around, I might decide to just sit down and wait for someone to come into sight, and then get up and walk along. But I think it's just like you, you, you try to be a little bit sensible about your own personal safety anywhere. Same rule goes for here in Sydney. Mm. Anywhere you want. And the same as we we're saying, you follow your intuition. Exactly. intuition. So exactly. if something doesn't feel right, yeah. uh, exactly. then uh, you make sure you're in sight of people. You mm. And I've, I've just written an article, actually, for the Australian yeah. Friends yeah. of the Camino mm. uh, about safety. So... Mm. You know, for particularly for for women, uh, carry a whistle, walk with other people if you don't uh, feel safe, even if it's only for a particular stretch for an hour. Uh, but but basically, you know, I've I've never had any fear about personal safety. 
I will just clarify something. You both spoke there about an, an incident a couple of years ago. As I understand it, a young pilgrim was lured off the Camino yes, yes. by a, a local chap who'd, who'd changed the arrows. So some of the young lady walked off the track and has unfortunately mm. lost her life as a result. But he was mm. apprehended fairly soon after and is, mm. is now behind bars. And when you mm. think that there are almost 300,000 credentials issued mm. last year, let alone pilgrims. There's mm. certainly double that, if not more, mm. people on the Camino. Um, the one incident in, in just a handful of years speaks mm. volumes, in my view. Yes. Uh, okay, what about language? How, how do you go with language? Because I know you speak reasonable... Well, can I say reasonable? Spanish? No, I'm just after... I'm post-beginners, but mm. the first time I went, I could say hello and goodbye. Uh, and I very quickly learned to una copa de bino blanco, por favor. But I just picked up a few words as I went along. Uh, as far as I was aware at that stage, it was a one-off. Uh, and now that, uh, because of the hospitalero involvement, uh, I'm going to Spanish classes now. But uh, I found it quite walkable uh, without Spanish. But I do try and ask for uh, advice so uh, again if I go into a shop and, and I'm the only one in there I'll, I will ask them uh, in Spanish how do I say that so I say you know como se dice in Espanol so and uh, invariably uh, the people are absolutely fantastic and they give me a Spanish lesson so you, point, a so you point to something and say como se dice <laughs> so how do you say it in Spanish so how do you say that in Spanish? And and they will... I, I've had people walk me around the shop uh, giving me uh, vocab lessons and uh, there's lots of laughter about my, uh, my accent, of course. Uh, but it's good. Uh, it's fun. And uh, I, I've just found the people are very friendly and really eager to help. What about you, Jenny? You got, how's the Spanish? Not great. But at Gathelmo, we have crib sheets that we can use, and so we can read read the the, the bare the bare facts that we need to let the pilgrims know up front in a variety of languages. Oh, of course, yeah, yeah, yeah that's so right. Yeah, it was, it, that that's very useful. But um, yeah, look, not great. I know a few words. I'm sure this time on the Meseta, I'll learn a bit more, and so I'm just going with an open mind. And, yeah. Yeah. I, I think, and my next question is: the Spanish are wonderful, aren't they, Jenny? Mm. Oh, absolutely. Mm. Particularly from our our experience in 2014 at Rabanal, we were embraced into the Rabanal community so wonderfully. We got to know all the characters in the village. We became friends with the shopkeepers, other albergue owners. It was a really beautiful time. We were welcomed with open arms. Mm. No. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I've uh, I've always found that no matter no matter where, whether it's been in the uh, villages or in the bars in the albergues, that the Spanish have been very welcoming. I love the way even you'll be walking uh, down the the street and you'll be right beside an arrow, but someone will stop and make sure you know the way to go. <coughs> Or a stranger will walk past and say, Buon Camino. Mm. And it's really um, just warms the heart. Yeah, sometimes when, you, when you're on those last couple of 
say two dozen miles, three dozen miles, and you think these people must just see pilgrims all day, every day, but they still say Buen Camino, and you think that they by these days they say I've had a cup full of these, yeah. but they don't. No, they don't. They and don't. It's lovely. And you you still feel special. You do. Even though you smell, you're tired, <laughs> exactly. and you can't wait to get to the end, but you right. you still feel special. All right, if I could pick you up and drop you on one spot on the Camino, no matter which of the Caminos you've done, where would it be, Jenny? Oh, Rabanal, of course. No other place. Julianne? For me, when I was going to uh, meditation classes, we had to pick a place for a sanctuary. And straight away, I was on the deck opposite the Alaburge at, uh, or the Jeet at uh, Orison. I never stayed at Orison because uh, when I walked it, it not long been opened. Uh, it uh, so I didn't even know it existed. Uh, but I sat on that deck and looked over the valley and through the Pyrenees and I thought, I'm home. This is my country. This is definitely yes. my country. Mm. Now, I've got two more questions here. Jenny, I just want to ask you, because there's something you spoke about and, and it's a good, a good thing, I think, that I, I want to raise. Tell us about walking with a group and and how you found that it sounds a bit... A bit difficult. It was a little bit difficult because we didn't have the same interaction with pilgrims that anyone walking solo would. You tend to be a lot more insular. We stayed in hotels. We didn't stay in our bergues. The dinners were all pre-booked, and so we always sat with each other at dinner time. And even though there was only eight of us doing that, there wasn't much interaction with anyone else and the the most valuable interactions I had on the Camino were with people that that we just we met and and walked with for a little while and and did have the occasional dinner with because you've got your friendships all the time and I really value the friendships with everybody that I walked with and I became good friends with Gordo and Pat as well they're friends to this day but I know I would have had a different experience had I been walking by myself. And so this time I'm really happy to be able to walk by myself and to just set the distances and just to to have people meet me with a, with a fresh view and and not knowing me and me being presented to to people without the mask. I have a background in commercial real estate and it was very much a, a time, 16 years, of wearing that mask. And um, there's no way you're wearing any kind of a mask on the Camino, <laughs> as we all know. So I'm looking forward to having that experience. But yeah. I, I really value the experience of walking with the group. It's just a distinction I wanted to make because I know that there will be people listening mm. who are thinking about doing it in a group may have perhaps thought, well, I couldn't possibly do it on my own. Mm. But I think we've answered both of those questions mm. this afternoon. I have one other question for you, Julianne, and that is, a lot of people would see you on forums and, in, in fact, on information nights and what have you as Julie mm. Milne. I thought it was Julianne Milne, but when I, before we started, I said to you, is it Julie or Julianne? And you told me a very interesting story. Hmm. All right. Um, obviously, uh, I was um, 
called Julianne uh, and it's hyphenated and actually I didn't tell you that makes life complicated a lot of computer systems do not recognize a hyphen in a name but anyway uh, I was always known as Julie when I was growing up because I thought Julianne was a bit childish Uh, and as an adult now uh, I was told that numerologically and spiritually it was actually uh, stronger Julianne so uh, I now say that I'm growing into it and I'm becoming more Julianne I often to my hospital aero trainees I'm Julianne and uh, I often now sign my name Julianne I'm becoming myself (laughs) well it's been fantastic to spend an hour with you this afternoon chatting about your experiences and your hospitalero experiences in particular. And I think, I know that all my listeners would hope that they are lucky enough that their paths cross with yours oh, on the Camino. And I hope mine does too in the not too distant future. Thank you, Julianne. Thank you. Can I give myself a plug? Go ahead. If you're on the Camino the last two weeks of August, come and say hello. I'll be at Bersiano Del Real Camino as hospitalera. And Jenny, you're going to next year go back, you I hope? Am. Yes, Rabinal, last two weeks in July with Gilbert Kabergs and Paul Murray from the CSJ. Very much looking forward to that. Well, I asked you before, where can I drop you? I can't drop you wherever I choose, but I hope that all of my listeners run past and say, hey, I heard you on the Camino, (laughs) the podcast. Thank you both for your time and your scholarship. It's been a great pleasure to speak with you both. Julianne Milne served as hospitalera and is the Australian hospitalero trainer for the Spanish-based Hospitaleros Voluntaros. Jenny Heesh worked as a a hospitalera in Rabinal when I met her and will return next year to keep giving back to the pilgrimage she loves so much. For more information on uh, Julianne's work, australianhospitaleros.org, australianhospitaleros.org. And if you don't have a pen, I'll have it at the bottom of the page where you click on this podcast. I'm Dan Mullins. Thanks for your company. Plenty more great interviews to come over the weeks and months ahead. In the meantime, and until then, Buon Camino. (laughs) 